everyone. I'm Emily Chang, and you're listening to Bloomberg Studio 1.0. For this special pandemic edition of the show, we speak to someone who bridges the tech and music industries and who rarely does interviews and has even been known to skip his own Grammy parties. He grew up in Stockholm, Sweden, playing guitar and selling websites built in his school computer lab as a side hustle. By age 23, he'd already started three tech companies and got rich enough to retire. Instead, he married his two passions, tech and music, launching an audio streaming service called Spotify in 2008. A decade later, Spotify went public and now counts more than 286 million users playing some 50 million tracks around the world. Joining me remotely on this edition of Bloomberg Studio 1.0, Spotify CEO Daniel Ek. So how is COVID life in Sweden? It, it's a little bit different uh, than uh, perhaps many other places in around the world in that um, the Swedish government choose a very different way of doing it uh, in that it's uh, really not mandated um, social distancing. It's more a recommendation of a social distancing. So all the stores are still open. All the restaurants are still open. That's been kind of controversial, right? It's been very controversial, and it's been widely reported by everyone from President Trump to uh, world leaders around the world of what are these crazy Swedes doing. Um, and and yeah, I mean, it's been widely debated in Sweden, too. But uh, so far, at least, um, uh, you know, it, it, we're, we're clearly impacted, uh, but it's it's it, it and you know, it's it's a sensitive time, but I, I feel pretty good about where we are um, right now. So what is it like running a $26 billion company in the middle of a pandemic? Well, the, the crazy thing, I think, uh, for us is just how global the business is. So, um, you know, we're in close to 80 countries around the world. Uh, so we're dealing with all these various stages of the pandemic. You um, have Asia, which is making a near recovery. Uh, you had Europe uh, that's right in the epicenter and was in the epicenter since early March. You have the U.S., which is kind of right now in the middle of the epicenter. And you have LATAM that will probably enter the epicenter shortly. So we're all in different stages uh, of this epidemic. And what's what's just fascinating for me has been um, just seeing how um, the consumption habits have just shifted overnight. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this since the inception um, of the company of just how people changed habits, changed uh, what they're listening to, how they're engaging with that content. So it's just been really been responding to this new reality that we're living in um, while at the same time making it culturally appropriate. You now have 286 million users, 130 million paying subscribers in 79 markets. How do you expect listening to shift over the next few months? We've actually been seeing an influx of new users coming to the service, including, which we're very happy about, old users returning to the platform. Um, but uh, I, I think it's hard to say. I mean, obviously, my guess will be as good as anyone's about uh, when this will change and and how quickly things can turn back into normal. Uh, for us specifically, uh, the big, big thing is really around the commute. Uh, so to the point when people are starting to return back to uh, their offices, their their uh, 
their place of work. I suspect we're going to see um, something that looks a lot more like normalcy for us. Also, second big thing for us is, is just the gym. Uh, people are listening a lot to music while working out. Um, you know, uh, again, people are working out, but not going to the gym so much. So that's impacting the type of music that people are listening to as well. Um, so I suspect as we're seeing um, places of work work uh, opening up and uh, gyms opening up, uh, I, I think we as a company will uh, be a lot more like normal again. Now, this has really been hard on the music industry. I know, you know, there haven't been any live concerts. You've got John Legend doing home concerts, Selena Gomez Instagramming her home studio. But just how hard do you think the music industry itself will be hit by this? Oh, it's um, absolutely going to be massive, specifically for artists themselves. So if you look at an average uh, artist today, about 80% of their income comes from touring. Um, so the fact that they can't tour um, and likely won't be able to tour for much of the summer, which is one of the greatest points for concerts as well, will impact uh, many, many musicians a lot. Um, and not just that, but we're talking about all the roadies and everyone else that makes these concerts happen. Uh, so it, it's it's a big, big thing, and it's it's something that we as a company are very focused on and why we also created the COVID-19 Relief Fund um, where we want to match donations um, towards the music industry. Even in the midst of this, you're still running a business and you have to you know, map out various scenarios and look ahead. So every quarter, I know you create internally what's called a bets board, where you list your priorities for the quarter and these are selected from proposals from your team. So what's on your bets board right now? Well, the number one uh, thing on our bets board is actually something that's stayed the same uh, for a very long time. And that's just um, our bet from going from a music company to an audio company. Um, and, uh, you know, we went about a year ago, just to put it in perspective, we were at about a quarter million podcasts uh, and we just passed over a million um, of that. About 60% of all podcasts are now being um, produced uh, and distributed via Anchor, which is one of our acquisitions last year. Um, so we're really just making progress on making it easier for people to create podcasts, distribute their podcasts, um, but also improving the cons consumption experience um, across the board. You're listening to my conversation with Spotify CEO Daniel Eck. Up next, we explore the company's relationship with the music industry, at times harmonious, at times dissonant. And I ask Eck where his global ambitions will take Spotify next. I'm Emily Chang, and this is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. advertises that it is the largest driver of revenue to the music industry. So you have paid out $16.5 billion to the music industry since launch. But that, of course, is a double-edged sword because it means 70% of what you bring in is going out the door right away. And even though you've shown consistent and solid growth since going public, Wall Street has been a little mixed. 
Can you reduce the share of what you have to pay to music companies long term? I think the most important thing is we tend to look at things as zero sum games. Um, and that's just not my approach to um, a lot of these problems. So when you look at the music industry, I think it's very important that many people make this distinction between the, the labels against Spotify. Um, but that's not how I look at it. There's still a lot of inefficiencies in the business for everyone. So um, if you just take it through from an artist vantage point, an artist now creates a piece of music. Um, it used to be that one of the most expensive things was around distributing that music, pressing the CDs, getting it out to the retailers, making it heard. And that was a huge part of the risk that the record company used to take. Nowadays, one of the biggest risks is um, in marketing that record because it's harder and harder to get heard uh, in the world. And labels are spending a lot of money um, promoting music and getting it out there in the world. And that's something, uh, as an example, that I think we can make a huge difference in just making that whole process a lot more efficient. And in doing so, um, you know, we can make it so that this becomes a better enterprise for labels, um, but we can also, of course, uh, make it a very lucrative business opportunity for us. Now, a lot has been made of Spotify's relationship with the music industry and the stories that have exploded are, you know, Taylor Swift pulling her music off Spotify. Of course, it's back on there. Or Beyonce uh, putting her album exclusively on a competing service. How would you describe your relationship with the music industry today? I think it's just night and day compared to when we started. Um, just 10 years ago, uh, much of what I spent every single day about was just educating people about what streaming was. And the largest point was just the um, lack of imagining that this could be the future. So a lot of the, the things we were uh, dealing with was, why would I want to do this? Uh, I want to own my music. The, this feeling of needing to own my music was the prevalent feeling. So no one even thought streaming could be a major source of revenue, let alone the biggest source of revenue. And, and so a lot of that was just educating um, the whole industry about that shift. Obviously, now we live in a world where streaming is not only, um, you know, uh, the largest revenue source for the music industry, but it's now over half of all the revenue for the entire music industry. And so uh, people aren't talking about that. Now people are talking instead about, okay, well, what does that mean? And, and when have we reached a saturation of the music industry? And what will the whole industry look like? And how many will it support once we're at that stage? So it's a very different discussion than what we had 10 years ago. And a lot of the things you referenced were in that build-up phase when people were unsure whether streaming was something that was not positive for the industry. And I think people realized that streaming is here to stay. It is the a significant driver to the music industry and the music in industry itself has been growing because of streaming. You're also working on this long-term bet, which is your two-sided marketplace and allowing artists to pay to promote their music on the platform. How much do artists spend promoting new releases on Spotify? Um, I know The Weeknd just paid to have his album promoted on Spotify and, and, and right. how much revenue do you think that can drive? Well, over time, we think it's a significant uh, revenue opportunity uh, for Spotify and for the music industry. And when you think about it right now, as I mentioned, a, a huge barrier for uh, a lot of artists today is just the ability for them to um, 
market their music in an efficient way. Uh, and so either you have to be signed to a major label and you have to be on that level where um, someone at that company trusts uh, that this will be a big thing and they're going to bet the farm on making that happen. But it's getting harder and harder to do that. And we want to democratize the process so that uh, everyone can do it and that there's a lot more efficient ways where you can measure the ROI of that spend in a bigger way. Um, so, you know, today we're early in that journey. We've been talking about it for quite some time now, but we're still very, very early in that journey. Uh, but over time, we think this will be a, uh, a major driver of our our uh, business and, and the increase in our future profitability. So about 60 million people in the U.S. pay for a streaming service. How big do you think that number can get? And what do you think Spotify's share will be? Well, globally, we talk about um, the fact that we think this is an opportunity in the billions. Um, and um, again, we don't put a, a, a ton of emphasis on how people are paying, whether they're paying through being on the ad-funded environment or the subscription-funded. And let me just put a perspective on that. So it, it's obvious today that the music industry focuses on paid subscription. But when I look at um, even all of the paid subscriptions combined um, today, I think IFPI has that number at, call it $12 billion or something equivalent. And then you look at radio. Uh, and in the US, the US radio industry, I believe this is probably 2017 or 2018 numbers. So it's a little bit outdated. But the entire US radio industry um, on just the ad side was $18 billion. So that's larger than the entire um, streaming industry uh, is for the music industry. So in the future, I think the right metric to focus on isn't just the number of paid subscribers, but it's how many people do we have in legal, um, um, uh, in a legal environment where it's being monetized for the music industry. And I think the combination of ad-supported and subscription uh, and probably a la carte models as well. It's the those three things that will drive the future of the music industry. The U.S. and Europe still make up close to 70% of Spotify subscribers, but that share is declining as you grow internationally. How do you see the mix shifting and what are, you know, what's the most important market for you, let's say, in the next year? Uh, well, the fastest growing and uh, of the largest size is LATAM right now for us. Um, so we're very, very excited about all the progress we're making in LATAM. Uh, it's super fun to see just how people are engaging with it, uh, how crazy they are, the Brazilians, the Mexicans, and everyone about about music in general and Spotify in particular. You're not in Korea yet, which is one of the biggest music markets, and there are a lot of local competitors. I'm sure you can still get a healthy dose of K-pop on Spotify, but when will we see you there? Well, it's 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 uh, one of the markets that we have as a priority market. So hopefully we can launch there soon. Um, as you mentioned, it's it's uh, one of the biggest music markets in the world, but it's also a very vibrant community. Um, you have BTS, of course, being a worldwide phenomenon now. Um, but we're very excited about the opportunity, and hopefully, um, once COVID sort of clears up, you'll see us launching there. The cost of Spotify is much lower in other countries like India, like Latin America, and the music companies are concerned about devaluing the cost of music. Do you see an opportunity to increase the cost of Spotify in some of the more mature markets like the United States, like like we've seen Netflix do? 
I, I think definitely long term, there's that opportunity uh, for us. Uh, I think in the near term, though, um, it's really all about focusing for growth for us. Uh, so uh, we talked a little bit about um, opportunity before, but I, I can't imagine, um, uh, you know, this not being a billion user opportunity around the world. And we talked about the U.S. specifically. If you think about all the people who are consuming radio in the U.S. today, it's well north of, you know, 80% of the population uh, that are doing that. All of those are moving on, over online. And that's the opportunity uh, that we're going after. And we still think it's the early days uh, of that. And once you're hitting more of a maturity where it's hard to grow, um, I think then is where you're looking at price increases. We're just not there yet. Um, even in, in what you would call some of the mature markets, we still think that we're still relatively uh, early in that cycle of growth. This is my conversation with Daniel Ek, the CEO of Spotify. Coming up, where Ek sees the next $18 billion opportunity and whether he'd ever sell Spotify to another streaming giant like Netflix. I'm Emily Chang, and this is Bloomberg Studio 1.0. Stay with us. took on Apple last year, claiming that they're charging way too much to be part of the App Store. They came back and said you want all the benefits of being a free app without being free. What is the status of your situation with Apple? Have they relaxed any rules or fees for Spotify? Well, I, I think first and foremost, this is um, an ongoing complaint uh, in the European Union uh, at this point. So I can't talk too much about the specifics on, on this. But obviously, long term, uh, we do expect uh, Apple to open up, um, and um, you know we're very encouraged about being able to now finally use Siri uh, as a way of just building in voice supports uh, and also being available to build products for the Apple TV and Apple Watch. Something that we haven't been able to do until very recently. So I think it, it's it's moving in the right direction, but we still have many, many steps to go before we consider this a uh, an open and fair platform. Apple has stopped releasing numbers for Apple Music. Do you think that their growth has slowed, perhaps? Um, I can't really speak to what their numbers are. Um, you know, my guess would be as much as your guess. What we have, though, is, um, and we've said this publicly before, um, you know, we're two times the size uh, of our nearest competitor and we're about three times the engagement um, than our nearest competitor too. And we think those two characteristics means we should be growing a lot faster. I wonder if you're surprised that Apple hasn't innovated more in an industry that it dominated for so long. Well, I, here's just my take. I think, you know, it's, it, we talk a lot about these big tech companies and we talk a lot about how you could be um, very good at, at um, you know, building these great companies. And they truly are phenomenal companies with amazing businesses. But I think there is something about focus. Uh, and this is something that, you know, 
um, I've said a long time that we're unique in the way that we're focusing on all of our time and attention on this one opportunity. Uh, and it's all about bringing audio um, onto the internet in a big way and moving it off of linear um, radio and, and um, physical formats. That's what this whole company is focused on. And that means everyone who's passionate about our mission um, has a, a sure way of coming here. Like if you're passionate about music, if you're passionate about audio, Spotify should be the company you want to join. So let's talk a little bit about the podcast bet. Podcasts are a big bet for you, but this is still a relatively tiny audience. You've bought a number of different podcast companies now. Why do you feel Spotify needs to own podcast companies rather than being a neutral distributor like you are with music? Well, I, I think it's a, a much more nascent um, marketplace uh, just in general than the music industry uh, was. Uh, so to your point, I mean, we're early in that journey, even though podcasts have been around for about 20 years. Um, as a business, it's much earlier. It's really in the last sort of five, call it five to 10 years, where where uh, you've actually seen fully dedicated uh, podcasting companies that have only focused on that uh, with full-time employees. So we're much earlier in that journey. And for us to try to grow this platform, uh, we think it's essential to um, really, really drive just um, uh, the proximity to content creation and distribution much closer. And then I think um, just from a strategy perspective, although there will be millions of pieces of podcasts around the world, there will be few that probably are these daily rituals. So for us to be able to build and invest in those properties, um, we just think it's a much better fit by owning them than, than perhaps having them just as a third party relationship. There's also video and original video on the platform hasn't quite taken off. What kind of experimenting are you doing there to try to make something like that work? Well, um, we, in all honesty, Emily, we experimented a lot with when it came to video a few years ago, um, because I, I think at the time it was less clear how the landscape of video uh, would play out. Um, you know, are we going to see long form content? Would we see short form content like YouTube or would we see something in between? Uh, and what would that look like? And so we pursued that opportunity, learn a bit. Uh, what we uh, really in the end um, ended up with though is realizing that our key um, strategies really around owning background moments, around owning really audio. And so it, it actually more so than anything else informed us about the strategy um, on doubling down on audio. Um, and I'm very happy with that today when you look at a lot of these other media companies that have to invest billions of dollars in order to even be competitive with the likes of uh, Netflix or YouTube. People love to float the idea of Netflix buying Spotify. Would you ever be interested in selling? Is that just ridiculous? Um, I, I'm not interested in selling. No. Um, you know, and the, 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 the reason why is, um, I, I just feel like we are in this really unique time where, as I mentioned to you, um, it's probably a once in a generation opportunity that we have in front of us of, um, this enormous consumer shift, um, that, are happening when people are choosing whatever they want to listen to whenever they feel like uh, listening to it. Uh, they're growing up with new interests. 
uh, they're, you know, fascinating for me is like, we used to talk about the only thing that will work in media was short form content. Um, but we're finding more and more that people are happy to engage an hour, an hour and a half to learn about a subject in depth. Uh, we were talking about, you know, we can't have a professor in clinical psychiatry talking about a very complicated subject, but it turns out that people are engaging with that. And that's very exciting to me. And and that's very much um, now the, the, the journey that Spotify's on. It's not just about entertaining people. It's about informing and educating them as well. And um, it's rare to be in a situation like that. And I think that's a huge opportunity both for me, uh, for the company in itself. And I think ultimately it will reward the shareholders to go after that opportunity too. So uh, we all need some extra uh, music and, and, and audio in our lives. What is on, if you could right now create a pandemic playlist for the world, what should be on it? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, uh, what should be on it? Um, well, I will say, uh, just plugging the two big ones, but uh, both Dua Lipa and The Weeknd have had, you know, enormous uh, releases. Uh, both of them are doing amazingly well. Uh, and it's not just the hits, by the way. It's both records are great. So I would definitely include a few tracks of each um, on there. Um, I... Uh, uh, a, a lot has been also on uh, more chill music, so you would have to definitely include uh, some of that. Um, you know, Fleet Foxes is amazing. Um, should definitely include um, some of that on it. Uh, we have some great new country music coming out uh, that's more of the chill kind. It's doing really well. Um, what else would I do? Um, hmm, that's a big question. Well, we can't forget Frozen and Trolls, right? That's true. That's true. For the kids, we got to have Frozen and Trolls. See, you could actually be one of our music editors. This is great. <laughs> I'm actually much less embarrassed about my listening now that you've admitted you listen to Frozen and Trolls. Now, oh, I know all the songs, okay. all the lyrics. It's, it's painful. <laughs> all right. Uh, Daniel Eck, uh, CEO of Spotify, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you taking the time especially with everything going on in the world. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Emily. Bloomberg Studio 1.0 is produced and edited by Kevin Hines. Our executive producer is Candy Cheng. Our managing editor is Danielle Culbertson, with special help from Mallory Abelhausen. I'm Emily Chang, your host and executive producer. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.